Well, happy Easter again, everybody. My name is Sean. Uh, I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Uh, if you're new, uh, Redemption Church, we're 10 different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Normally, we're not together like this. Uh, we're actually not just doing it uh, only because it's Easter, um, but because of the coffin, which I will explain uh, uh, behind me and what we're going to get at that. That's going to be the predominant space in which uh, uses our service there. Um, but, but we wanted to get together for that. And so normally we're actually on the other side of the cafeteria. We get together two services at 9 and 1045. Obviously, you're always welcome. Um, that's not a plug for church, but get in church. Um, anyway, um, here's what I want to do. Because most of our time this morning is going to be spent on this, uh, I'm going to share actually a shortened version. And we're going to sing a lot this morning. And we're going to watch some really cool things, which I will explain But um, what I actually want to do is I want to kind of get at the engine of why you might be here. And and the reality is, I think there's a recognition in the room that, man, it's like the yearly attendance. I mean, every joke that we could possibly make, every pastoral drive-by guilting that you can get, uh, that you need to be here more often. I want to just avoid that. And I just want to talk about very quickly why you're here and why 2.2 billion people across the world will jam themselves into gyms, auditoriums, churches, uh, temples, wherever they're going to be getting together, they're getting together, getting together to gather about the resurrection. But for the most part, I, I think it's fa- uh, fair to say that, that we know the what of the resurrection. We know what took place. We know how it went down. We know who. I mean, you, you've had to have lived in America longer than a week and, and at least heard the name of Jesus come up casually, or at least in a cuss word or whatever. I mean, you, you, you've, you, you maybe even um, know the where. You've had the opportunity to travel to the Holy Land and see the spot in which Jesus was crucified. And then, and then maybe they kind of know, depending on how much money they want, where the tomb was. And some of you chronologically even know the when, right? You, you know when you first heard about the resurrection or uh, you can kind of point it down to this is because of the moons and the stars. This is what took place. But what's crazy about it all, and you know what the question that I want to get at this morning, it's the question that we are always going to the scripture for, and we feel like the scripture is always absent with. And it's the question, why? Like we're going to the scriptures. If if you feel like you're frustrated about a marriage or the problem with evil, you're going to the Bible and you're going, well, why does this happen? And then here we are gathering Every single year, the yearly gathering, we're getting together like this, and we're not asking the big question, why the resurrection? And, and maybe you know the what, the who, the when, the where, but let me just lay out the why real quick. Like, give me 20, 25 minutes, I get it. Some of us got kids in here, brought neighbor kid, Nathan, Nathan, raise your hand, everybody, let's look at Nathan, he loves attention, okay? Like, like I get it, and I'll be quick, I promise, but, but it's important, because check this out, After the death of Jesus, the disciples and and all the apostles and the Christians weren't roaming around talking about the cross. They were going around and their claim to fame, the big deal for them, was the idea that this Jesus not just died, but he actually did raise from the dead. So here's what I want to do. I only want to share two scriptures with you. Why all the people around all the, the, the globe on this morning get together, and I think we can sum it up in two verses. Now, normally we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but we're not going to do that this morning. Uh, we're in Ephesians right now as a church, but we're going to look at a, a verse at the very beginning of the Bible, and then we're going to look at a verse at the very end of the Bible. We're going to look at a, a verse in chapter 3 of Genesis, and then I want to look at a, at a verse at, at the end of the Bible in Revelation 1. Now, before we get there, you can turn to Genesis 3 real quick. Um, Before you get there, I need to give a little bit of background, because I'm going to assume that for the most part, we're religious folk. 
Uh, but you don't need to be a Christian in here. Maybe you just got dragged here because you're being nice to your folks or whatever. But, but you're here, and as you're here, you probably know somewhat of a semblance of the Christian worldview. Meaning, you probably know that I'm going to get up here as a pastor and tell you that the world began, we believe wholeheartedly it began with two people. God creates Adam and Eve. And in the Garden of Eden, Satan enters in and he begins to converse with Adam and Eve. Now here's a story uh, which you're probably familiar with. As he begins to engage with Adam and Eve, he's trying to get something in the water. And what he's trying to get in the water is something that has destroyed kingdoms, has brought down over and over and over and toppled many parts of your life, the frustration you exist in, in relationship, at your work, in all kinds of vocational ideas that you might have moving forward. There's something that Satan's trying to get in the water, and he's using uh, this idea that I think is worth following a thread all the way through Scripture. He goes to Adam and Eve, and he has them begin to question what God says about death. And he says, listen, God said you're going to die if you take uh, some fruit from that tree. I'm telling you, you're not going to die. Now, if you know the story immediately, what happens is they find out Satan really is a deceiver. He really is a liar. And that's exactly what he did. He lied. And so Adam and Eve now find themselves, though not in the moment, feeling the corpse of each other, looking at each other in shame, knowing that death is just at the horizon and it's coming. And, And they were lied to. And it's sitting in that Um, depression, that anxiety, that frustration that Adam and Eve feel now, feeling shame, feeling brokenness, feeling helpless, that God provides this seed of hope. Because here's what you need to know. Um, As Satan tricks Adam and Eve, he does what he wanted to do, and that is enter, uh, have sin enter into the world. And everywhere you know sin exists, death is close behind. Everywhere sin plants its flag, you know death exists. Is there, And so you can be sure that sin is still present when death is still going. And in that, there's the seed. Our gracious God says, I know this sucks. I don't know if I'm allowed to say sucks on Easter, but I did. I know this is not, this is not something that, that, that you wanted to happen as you look back, but there's hope. Listen to this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is what it says. I'm going to read from the NLT. Normally we read from the ESV, but I'm going to read from the NLT. And I will cause, this in this moment, God is talking to the devil, who is in the shape of a serpent. I will cause hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her her offspring. So there's this immediate recognition of, hey, hey, bro, hey, Satan, you started a war. And so from this point, there's going to be hostility against my people and your people. But check this out. Someone's going to come from her people. This is what he says. Listen to the back half of 15 here uh, and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is what's called the first gospel. It's the first good news. It's the first hope. It's the idea that in the turmoil of knowing that sin has planted its flag and death is now on the horizon, ain't nobody beaten death. Everybody in the room is losing to death. Ain't nobody beaten death. And now here's death in existence with all the hope that was there before, now being gone, God says, but listen, hear me, there's a promise, someone's coming. I know that right now we exist in this tension, but someone is coming to save the day. And Satan, look, you may strike his heel, but look at me, he's going to crush your head. He's going to crush your head. And the rest of the Bible is these interactions. I mean, and what, what is crazy about this, the champ always wearing the belt is death. Man, Abraham, he was a, like, 
he was faithful in going to sacrifice his son. But in the end, he lost to death. I can't knock over the Christ candle. Let me scoot back. I'm, I'm, I'm rocking the tie, too, which I ain't used to. So this thing's flying everywhere. Okay? So, so, so listen, Abraham faithful, but he dies. Deborah, an awesome judge, but she dies. Esther fought on behalf of the Jews, but she couldn't beat death. Moses brought his people out of Egypt, but death was still king. They fought sin. They went at it. But in the end, they lost. Nobody was champion enough. Nobody was big enough. Nobody was bad enough. And all the while, while this is going on, while David, Elijah, Jeremiah, there's murmurs. Remember Genesis 3.15. Remember, I know Abraham failed us. I know Moses failed us. I know David failed us, but someone's coming. Remember, remember, we get this all throughout the Old Testament. You find it predominantly, you'll find a ton of it in the Psalms, but predominantly you'll find more than anything in, in, in uh, uh, books like Isaiah. Like Isaiah 8, it tells us uh, that, that in the end, this man who is to come is going to be a temple for the people of Israel, this safe haven for the people of Israel. In Isaiah 35, it tells us that when this man comes, he's going to have the eyes of the blind see, the ears of the deaf hear, that the tongues of the mute will be able to shout the joy of the Lord. There's prophecies all over. I mean, Psalm 22, Joshua 1, and Isaiah. Uh, 53, that he's a man of sorrows. There's just these murmurs. People are being murked out over and over. Dead, 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 dead. Nobody can beat it, but there's these murmurs. There's these prophecies. Someone's coming. And if you're not familiar with your Bible, that's exactly what happens. That is what the new covenant, you're, 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 as you flip to that smaller part of your Bible, that, the, the back half, that is the New Testament. That there have been people who are saying they're going to beat death, but crazy story here, y'all. This guy, Jesus, comes on the scene, and you go, is, is this the dude? Right? Is this the one? He's coming on the scene, and he's going, I brought a new kingdom. There's, it's going to be something different. I, I'm going I'm I'm to ruin death. I'm going toe-to-toe with death. He's talking about making all things new. This dude's crazy. Like talking Genesis language. Remember back before Genesis 3? I'm going to restore all things to the way they're supposed to be. This is what he's talking about here. I mean, you see this, and he's using, this is what's so bizarre. Jesus is using the language about himself that the prophets used about him. He keeps calling himself the son of man. That's how the prophets were describing this Messiah. And so people are rallying. Maybe this is the year. Maybe Bradford won't get hurt. Maybe, you know, like whatever. But we'll see. Let's see how it plays out. Probably not. His bones are made of glass. Terrible contract. This isn't about the cardinals, though. Um, So hear me. Here it is. Here it is. So Jesus making these declarations All through the course of what's going on, he keeps talking about going toe-to-toe with the thing that beat everyone else, and that's death. He keeps saying, listen, disciples, look at me. If you're following me, look at me. I'm going to go at death, but I'm going to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get it, right? Like, you know how legit Abraham was. You know how righteous David was. He was a man after God's own heart, but he lost. Nobody's beaten death, Jesus. Nobody's beaten death. And he's making this. In John 11, he tells us he's the resurrection of life. If you follow him, though you, though you experience death, you will never die. Sure, Jesus. Sure. And this is what we see. Last Friday, we, uh, we gathered together for a Good Friday service. And we gathered in the auditorium in there. And as we were in there, we went through this battle. Jesus decides, after we read through the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, We get this account, Jesus decides to go toe-to-toe with the one who's beaten everyone else. And we read that story. And here's what's crazy. As the lights dim throughout the night, 
we get to, to the end of the night on Friday night. The lights were all the way out, and there's this candle. It's the only candle lit. The music stops. The band walks off the stage. And if you were there, it's just dark. It's quiet. It feels like a funeral. It's kind of awkward. And all you hear is shuffling feet. All you hear is people making their way out. And we get a glimpse for a moment of what the disciples felt. We get a glimpse for a moment to know, man, Jesus said he was going to do it, but he didn't. He went to the cross, but he died. And so, so we feel this way. He's, he's like Abraham. He failed us. He's like Moses. He failed us. It's like Neo not making the first jump. I thought he was the chosen one. Like it's, it's this thing that goes within us and, and, and we don't know what to do with it. And we walk out and we go through our Saturday and here's what happens. Here's the why. This is the crux of the why. You've got to hear this because as Sunday breaks, there's these women who go to where Jesus is supposed to be buried, Mary leading the way. And as they go in, this is the story you know of the what of, but now we've got the why behind it because this is huge, right? As they go into the temple, this is what's crazy. They go into the temple, there's no body, and they start tripping. And there's this angel that's so bright they can't stare at him. And it's what the angel says that is the game changer forever. 2.2 billion people will gather together because of what this angel says. He says, Mary, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now imagine what goes on in Mary's mind. Whoa, 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 hold up. Where's Jesus? No, no, he said he was going to die. You're, you're looking for the living among the dead. Linda, Linda, listen. Listen, Linda. <laughs> Linda, listen. Where's Jesus, Linda? Okay? Like, I need to know what's going on here. Listen. And the angel's like, let's go, people. He did it. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. And now we're looking back and looking at the text, and we get the why. Because the why is Jesus straight. Rocky three, clubber lamed him. Took the hits. You ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. Rope-a-doped him, took him to the ground, brawned him, I am champ. That's the why. Ali's got to call him the greatest. Chuck Norris makes jokes about him. Michael Jordan, I mean, you can go on and on and on. He's the best. Nobody, you ain't beating death on your own. He went toe-to-toe where everyone else failed. Hear me. And he won. He's the champ. He's the champ. Floyd Mayweather, 50 and 0. You know how many people Jesus has saved? So this leads to our second verse. Our second verse comes from the book of Revelation, chapter uh, 1. So in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, it says this. uh, Just a little bit of uh, context here. Uh, Genesis is written by a man named Moses. The book of Revelation is written by a man named John, John the Apostle. And he's writing this. And in the book of Revelation, if you're not familiar, we get the story of the end of the world. But before we get the way the story ends, Jesus has to make a little declaration first. And he goes up to John before he shows him all these things. And this is what it says. When I saw him, this is John talking, saw him being Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And you ready for verse 18? Listen to this. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. Now you, you listen, listen to this next line. I grew up charismatic. You ain't, you ain't ready for this. Charismatic in me is like, let's get it. I'm about to kick the candle over, jump into the pool. Okay. <laughs> I am alive 
forever and ever. I'm the living one. This is Jesus' declaration. There is no other living one. Everyone else has died. They're maybe spending eternity with the Father, but no one else is the living one. No one has been able to beat death up to this point. You ready for this? I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death in Hades. I hold the keys of death in Hades. I, you know who death is to me? Just, just another one. I beat him. You ain't so bad. This is it. I mean, think of the symbolism of keys here. He's the owner. From this point on, this is why we can read the New Testament with such confidence. From this point on, this is why we can read 1 Peter 1, 3, that he gives us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hear me. In Hebrews 2, 14, it says that those who were in fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Every single person in this room, without Jesus Christ, you're fighting. You're fighting. You're trying to get it. Man, maybe you're trying to get the house, the car, the life. I don't care what it is. And you're, you're, you're inebriating yourself with these idols. You're putting them away because you think you've only got one life to live. You've got to get it now. Get your experiences in. Get your relationships in. Get everything you need to get in. I'm telling you, I don't live in that tension. Because Jesus did what he did, I'm not a subject to slavery of this life. That I wholeheartedly believe I cannot beat death on my own. I can't avoid it. But you want to know, he, this is important. Here, here's what I believe. As quick as you will see people go underwater and back above, I believe that is what death will be to me. I will die, but in a moment I will be raised. I will be with him. And maybe if it happened today, tomorrow, next week, one day he will return and he will give me a body that doesn't hurt when I wake up. Won't let my son get faster than me, because that's rough. We're getting there. I, I, I recognize that I have a hope there in Jesus Christ. Look at me. That's the why. The reason we get together every single year at this time is we gather because Jesus is the champ. That Jesus won. That death could not hold him down. Nobody else before or after him has achieved something like this. And that is why we put our hope in him. And that is why we're going to do baptisms as well. But for now, let me pray for us. We're going to take communion together. I'll give us some instructions and then we're going to move on in symbolizing everything I just talked about. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your goodness and your grace towards us. There's a recognition as we read your word, the thread of the Bible seems to be death and sin and Satan dominating, the prince of the power of the air, the one who seems to be over these things and we feel like we're frustrated and we want, sometimes we can't have, we feel like we fight for self, we feel like there's moments of pride and anger and lust and it's all on the table and we just keep losing. We can't win, but you did, but you did. And the thread that we find throughout the scripture is when it's all said and done, you hold the keys to death in Hades. That no one finds their way into life without you. We're not strong enough. We're not, we don't go to church enough. There's not enough righteousness that we can do on our behalf. We just don't have it together enough. We need you. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Father, for raising your son from the dead. We acknowledge in this moment that all glory goes to you. It is about you. It is your story. 
and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.